any day above ground is a good day. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Ready to roll right here on the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here again today. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepovsky. And today I'm really happy to welcome to the show Joanne Brennan, author of a new book that's flying off the shelves called How to Thaw Your Frozen Feet. Joanne, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders Show and thank you for agreeing to chat with us here today. Thank you so very much for inviting me to the show. It is an honor to be able to speak with you and share the word. An honor. My goodness. I feel quite privileged. Actually, I was going to say the same thing the other way around. (laughs) Joanne, listen, let's start off by learning a little bit about you through this question. Who or what inspires Joanne? Well, there are many people that inspire me, but there is one individual. That person is Joseph Kapener. He's the owner of Capener Homes. He is somebody that brings light to various issues in business and personal life and solves them with a poise, fact, and logic. He exhibits plenty of foresight, which I believe is a trait all leaders need to have. This helps him with the ability to lead his team towards the path on development and progress. There's also a perseverance to forge on in the face of adversity. And he's always committed to the task at hand in all areas of his life. He's a source of inspiration to the community that we live in and recognizes the true potential in others. He's a completely authentic and transparent individual. And there's no power plays, no muscle pulling, no arm twisting of any sort with him. He has very clear intentions, is consistent with his words and actions fearless and very self-aware and understands his own drawbacks and owns up to them. He does what others aren't willing to do. And I feel that that is a very strong leadership attribute. Joanne, I'm really glad that you mentioned at least a couple of things in there, because I think it ties into what we want to chat about today. And that's courage and perseverance. I first learned about you through a mutual friend, John Day. John is a former military leader somebody that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. When he called me up and said, you got to talk to Joanne, he really caught my attention. I would say the second thing that really caught my attention was when I learned about your book, Thaw Your Frozen Feet. After getting to know you a little bit, I think I can safely say that you're not only a survivor of some pretty serious trauma, but you're also an example that many of us can learn from particularly using that courage and perseverance and how you've managed to pick yourself up and to keep moving no matter what. When I first heard your story, the first thought that came to my mind is that there definitely should be a movie made about this. You've lived through some pretty dramatic stuff, a lot of drama, a lot of terror, a lot of sadness, a lot of physical difficulty that easily could have worn you down and led to what a lot of psychologists call learned helplessness, where people give up. But somehow you discovered this deep well of resilience and courage and tenacity that we were talking about. And I think it served you very well. But I think that it's also something that can be a great source of inspiration to anyone else who may also have gone through some serious challenge 
or maybe encountered life difficulties either now or sometime in the future. I'm sure it isn't easy relating some of the details of what you've been through, but if you don't mind, please give us a little background on your journey and set the stage. Let other people go through that same sense of amazement that I went through when I first started chatting with you and learning about what you've gone through. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. I would be more than happy to share. So we'll start, uh, I was very young. Yeah, how far back does this go? I'm actually adopted. I started out, uh, I was adopted by a a lovely family in uh, Brockville, Ontario. And I was given all of the opportunities a child could possibly have. Wonderful, well-rounded life, trips and vacations and the whole works of extracurricular activities. Part of that luxury of what I had of being adopted was going to boarding school. That is where I had my true first encounter of thinking I was falling in love with somebody, to which was later on going to be my husband. We met when I was 15 years old. At 19, I was going down the aisle abroad in the Caribbean. There were all the warning signs. I was brought up with very good morals, ethics, and values, and to be discerning, but I was overwhelmed by this emotional idea that I thought I was in love. All of the red flag signs were there for me not to be involved with this individual. And I thought, I can change the world. I can change him. All I have to do is this and this. And so I realized back then what I was doing, but I didn't want to take ownership for that denial. Right. That that bubble that I was creating for myself. So easy to see it in hindsight, isn't it? Yes, yes. And about a year into my marriage over there, I realized I was in a world of power and intrigue and crime and corruption and dysfunction. I was married to one of the most notorious crime families on that island, and they owned all of the illegal gaming houses. And not only that, the grandfather, who was the kingpin of all of the illegal gaming houses, was also the treasurer of the Progressive Liberal Party that was in power for over 25 years. Wow. So if you can, picture that. We were in police raids. The police was corrupt by the money that they had because they would pay off a certain portion of the police force to be in their favor, the defense force, the government. And so I didn't know what I was in until you step out of the picture and you say, what is actually going on? You don't ever see yourself in the picture when you're in that frame. Yeah. You step out, you have a chance to remember who you are and do a self-awareness check, which I had to do because even though I was brought up with the ideology that once you're married, you're married for life. Well, yes, that's okay in a healthy relationship, but not once there's guns involved and I'm in police raids and I'm experiencing all facets of abuse. Not to mention, while I was going through that, I had 17 surgeries, two of which I almost died. Holy smokes. All of this happening at the same time. Yes. So it's got to be almost like the shades of what's happening are in front of you, and you can't really see the reality for what it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the thing with having been abused in so many different ways, you normalize your situation. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why I titled my book, How to Thaw Your Frozen Feet, because on average, a woman in domestic violence goes back seven times. Hmm. Women go back for various reasons, 
for me, it was because I was embarrassed. I didn't want people to know what was happening. Although I was in this godforsaken situation, there were some materialistic benefits that I had being involved with a wealthy family. Right. Again, step out of that and then you realize this is not okay. This is very wrong on all different levels. And I attribute the values, the morals, ethics that my parents instilled in me when I was a child. Mm -hmm. And if they had not laid that foundation for me as a child and to learn to be discerning, I would not have been able to step out of that. So a little bit more about my story moving forward was I went back three times. Yeah. Once was back to the islands, once was to Florida to attempt to make a new start. And then that whole cycle continued. So it's that abusive cycle of the control and the greed and the demand and the, uh, the feel of ownership that that person had on me. And then the honeymoon phase, well, I'm sorry, and it won't happen again, and I love you. And so there's so much conning and deceitfulness and lies and so many layers of deceit. It sounds like they got whatever they wanted. Absolutely. You were just another piece of that, another currency in that entire scheme. Absolutely. I was a pawn. I was the prize. I was the minority in that country right? that was trophied around. Yeah, One that wasn't treated very well. Not at all. They didn't treat each other well either. It's a world that's beyond me. It's interesting to hear it from you. Joanne, one thing that comes to mind, I'm not sure if I should even ask you this or not, but 17 surgeries, was this related to the abuse that you had? I believe so. And my doctor believes so. After I self-represented in court, I was absolutely, completely exhausted and I had a breakdown because of fatigue. And that breakdown provoked me to call my family doctor. He said, what took you so long? And he firmly believes that the reason why I had, and he's not the only doctor that did here in Brothel, but they believe that I was so worn and so stressed and so weak that the weakest part of my body was being attacked by the stress. Stress, of course, yeah. Which in turn resulted in so many surgeries. My goodness. And yet, even going through all of this, there was some piece of you that was so tenacious and so courageous that you self-represented in court? I did. There's nothing good about divorce, but on the same accord, I did have a lawyer. My children are not pawns. And I was not prepared to negotiate their safety. And there is what is called the Hague Convention. So if there are children produced from a relationship that one is of another country, one of the parents, as we know, it happens. Child abduction and kidnapping happens on a daily basis, unfortunately. And I felt like my children were at risk in negotiating for the divorce. My lawyer said, well, I think you're going to have to consider if you want to move forward and make a settlement, you have to consider them going back to the country. I was not in agreement with that. Mm -hmm. And so I did my own research over those few days. And that country is a signatory of the Hague Convention, but they are not a compliant country. I would have never, ever seen my children again. There is not one abduction from a parent that happened over there that the children were returned. Yeah, much less a crime family. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. That is still to this day a very powerful family. And so I let go of my lawyer. And um, I was at Queen's University at the time. 
my requested a sabbatical. I had a full-fledged daycare that I was running and I had family asked family to come in and help me to sustain that while I studied the law books. Holy smokes. Yes. I self-represented against my interpersonal therapist's recommendation, my psychiatrist, and uh, that is the perseverance and tenacity, the will of a mother to protect her children (laughs) amidst chaos. Mama Bear stands up. Yes, and as messy as it was, I did succeed. There's no winning or losing in court. It's just a very sad and unfortunate situation. The children from then on after parental rights were lost, the children and I were able to move forward. And all the way through 17 surgeries. My goodness. And here's what strikes me. I think most people out there, probably most of our listeners, will relate to the fact, and I know I certainly can, that it can be challenging to figure out what's within our control and what's outside of our control Uh and to accept what's outside of our control. But what really gets me about what you're describing is that you didn't just look with a surface look to say what's within my control. You dug. You actually got creative in figuring out what is within my control. To sit there studying the law book so that you better understood to know about the Hague Agreement the depths that you did while suffering through all of these physical surgeries, it's taking remarkable to a whole new level. It's remarkable in bold capital letters underlined and italicized. Well, thank you, Terry. I'm humbled by that comment. It's wonderful to hear. I just felt like any day above ground is a good day. I brought two human lives into this world, and it was my responsibility and my responsibility only to take care of them and bring them up. And I was not going to let anything happen to them because there was an incident that happened when I was being strangled in the middle of a parking lot on the island. And I looked around and that is one time where I realized two things. There was a type of grace that came over me when my feet were dangling in the air. I looked quietly around with my peripheral vision. There was not one single person that would help me. And I couldn't understand why until it clicked. They weren't helping me because of the power that that family had. Secondly, any type of random act of kindness is good. There is meaning in it somewhere. And so I was going to be a force to be reckoned with. Wow. In order to make sure that my kids were not subjected any further to what I had chosen to bring them into. Like I said before, there should be a major motion picture about your life. And I'm so glad that you're sharing this with us today. Joanne, the details that you just shared with us are in the book, are they? Actually, no, Terry. My book, I speak on my story. Right. But my book is actually how I got out of what I was in. There are no real details about my story, but I am honored to be able to speak about it. You're not only an author, you're out there doing keynote speeches public speaking all over the place as well. That's something I want to point out. I really believe that this is a story worth sharing. This is something that other people should hear, particularly anybody that feels like they're at the end of their rope. They've got overwhelming odds against them or that their life is incredibly challenging and they're looking for some inspiration. What you just described is really something. It's what a lot of people have nightmares about. And yet this is your life. You've lived through this. 
I've lived through it and I've created a whole new life. And I have to thank the team at Providence Continuing Care in Kingston. I've had over a decade of therapy with them. The team there worked with me as well as at Kingston General Hospital. They gave me the tools to help me get where I am today. And this holds true for leaders and leadership qualities. You have to take what they give you and you're the one that has to do the work. And so there's hope. The actual healing process was more difficult than the abuse. I think it was our second or third show that we ever recorded on here. We had Doug Smith. Mm. Doug Smith has been through a great deal of trauma himself, having been a quadriplegic from playing in the NHL, fighting his way back. And the funny thing is, the same message came from him. It wasn't the physical injury that was so difficult. It was the cumulative emotional trauma that he went through that was the most difficult to overcome. I've heard very similar themes from you as well. I can completely relate to what Doug is saying because through the shootouts and the police raids and then the abuse and the rape, all the different facets, the financial control. After I went through my first depression, I did go through another one. The medication that I was on, I was on so much medication for all of the trauma. I had the high anxiety, severe social anxiety, depression. I was suicidal twice. To work through all of that, plus the surgeries, plus the narcotics, I was on 30 medications. And to pull yourself out of the picture again and say, hey, what is going on? I couldn't even recognize myself at one point. I was 200 pounds. I'm 5'1". And I said, this is not me. Who am I looking at in the mirror? That's not me. And so I came off that medication because I realized my social anxiety was so severe. I couldn't even leave the house for several months at one point. I started to become self-aware even on all that medication. And I went through a whole other healing process, which was dealing with the medication. And then got off all of that and decided to write my book. So I feel that sharing my story and finding my voice would be a service to people who are looking for some sort of little ray of hope. I really think that this is an amazing story, Joanne. And I think that you've come a long way. And I hope people are going to look to you, to your book, to your public speaking for the rest of the details. And I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. This is a real source of inspiration for people who have their own difficult journey going on. Before we wrap up, Joanne, I've got two last questions for you in the theme of our show. Here's the first one. What advice can you offer to today's leader? It's very important to stay focused and energized. We are in an environment today of profound change, complexity, and ambiguity. And For our leaders of today, in an environment of near constant change, in which they and their organizations they are in not only continued and required to adapt, but also anticipate change and stay at the cutting edge to survive. And again, that's whether it's personal or in business and how that's moving at an exponential rate. It's important to step outside of that frame recalibrate and rebalance and find your focus again 
and energy. You are uniquely qualified to offer such advice. <laughs> to step outside, I think it's so true. I meet so many people every day that are feeling overwhelmed. Yes. They're feeling like they're snowed under right to their eyeballs, and they're not sure how they're going to dig out of this and get to another day. Yeah. I think hearing your advice, it's incredible. I'm glad that we've got you here. Here's my last question for you, Joanne. What does inspired leadership mean to you? What it means to me, Terry, is the mark of a true inspired leader is the ability to encourage another individual in some sort of commitment and engagement. And I feel that that is the a rock solid foundation for continued success and moving forward to lead by example and help lift others up. It's an inspired leader's job. They're charged with, in my view, to inspire people to work together in service of something that is actually greater than themselves through positivity, being grateful for each other, having a clear vision for the future, excellent listening skills, and having the ability to articulate and communicate well with honesty, integrity, and trustworthiness. I'm glad you mentioned those three, the honesty, integrity, and trustworthiness. Absolute foundational for any leader out there. Very well said, Joanne. Thank you so much. I know that wasn't easy, and I can safely speak for our audience by offering a huge thank you to you. Oh, thank you, Terry. It is my absolute honor to be part of your show and to be able to talk about the war that goes on behind closed doors. Thank you. And I encourage anybody that's going through a challenge of any sort to reach out to somebody that you trust. There is a way out in whatever you're going through. We are here to cover even the difficult topics. There you have it, gang. More valuable perspectives and advice from another inspiring leader. We hope that you enjoyed this interview and that you'll join us again for more shows to come. We've got that big old red carpet rolled out for all of you. So check out the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Please leave your ratings and comments on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Thanks again, everybody. Take care and bye for now.